Oh man, Georgia pollen. Wow. You know, it's, it's you know, I think God gives us every indication that we need to know that He is a God who raises things to life. This time last week, this place was dead. And now, the church grounds are teeming with life. Everything that was dead is now green. And God does it every single year, and somehow we doubt that God can take dead things and make them new. And I think spring is one of the greatest testaments that God has given us um, to the power that He has to raise things to life. And... um, God's glory is before us simply by walking up to church this morning. And I I hope that's not lost on you because it's not lost on me. I I like to complain about the pollen. Um, Zyrtec is profiting from uh, Georgia pollen. I'm not not, not a Zyrtec D guy anymore. I can't sleep. Zyrtec? Zyrtec, Zyrtec. Let's make fun of the Kentuckian for not pronouncing things. Before we begin this morning, um, open up your Bibles to John 18, if you will. Before, as you're turning there, who's doing slides this morning? Is it my boy Franklin? There he is, Johnny on the spot. Franklin's Franklin's good. You've got Quinn shoes to fill, though. I don't know. <laughs> Quinn, Quinn, quick draw, Joe Gannage. Um, before you're, before we read out of John 18. I wanted to explain, I told you all that I'm committing in 2019 to really giving us a picture of the gospel, if I may, before every sermon. Uh, Don't want to take for granted that anyone just knows what the gospel is. I want to take time to explain it. If that's the most important thing in the world, well, by goodness, we can explain it. Here is a way that I want to explain the gospel this morning. Jesus was stricken by the Father on the cross as if he were guilty so that those who believe in the gospel could be looked upon as if they were obedient. Let's say that one more time. That is such a good truth. Jesus was stricken by the Father on the cross as if he were guilty so that those who believe in the gospel, the good news, could be looked upon as if they were obedient. That as if is really important because I am not obedient. I have a I have a, a a dirty record that needs to be expunged, and the only way that it can be expunged before a righteous and holy God is with blood. And uh, the Lamb of God supplied that. That is good news. The reason I didn't use the word punish. I think in some ways I could have used that word. I didn't use the word punish because I wanted to get away from the idea that the Father was angry with Jesus on the cross. That is not the case. He poured His wrath on the Son on the cross, but Jesus was sinless. He looked upon Jesus and He said what? In Him I am what? Well pleased. So the Father is not angry with the Son on the cross. He is being um, stricken as if he were guilty, but he's not guilty. 
So there is no anger there between the Father and the Son. That's the beauty of the Gospel. Jesus stood in our place, the place of sinners who He was angry with. God, God was... Um, I stood condemned under the law of God and Jesus stood in my place as my substitute paying my debt. The reason this is all important this morning is because Jesus talks about drinking the cup of the Father. Drinking the cup that the Father has given Him. He's referring to the Father's wrath. And if we don't understand what Jesus is talking in John 18... I think it's, it, it is not an embellishment to say that we don't understand the gospel. This is a critical piece. I think it's, it is not an exaggeration to say if we are going to get the gospel right, we have to know what this cup is that he's talking about in this text this morning. So if you would be so kind and stand for the reading of God's word. <coughs> Holy Spirit through John says when Jesus had spoken these words he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron where there was a garden and he, where he, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas who betrayed him also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing that all, all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. Verse 9, this was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Let's pray. Father, you... Pour your wrath upon your Son so that you did not have to pour it upon your church. Father, that is our cry this morning. That's our praise. That's our triumph. The victory of the church is that we did not have to drink that cup. Father, we can think of no other way to conceive of the good news of the Bible than that Jesus drank the cup and we did not. Father, I pray this morning that as we look at this text in John 18, that you can foster a spirit of gratitude, of humility, and of worship as we consider what a great price Jesus paid on our behalf. And all these things we ask in your precious Son's name. Amen. You can be seated. If you're new here, I try to do the same thing every Sunday, and that's I try to give you a summary of what I'm getting ready to try to tell you. Sometimes I achieve that, sometimes I don't. 
here's what the point is. If you don't get anything else, if, I, if you leave here bewildered going, what in the world is that preacher trying to say? Here's what he was trying to say. Oop, I don't know if I've got it or not. Jesus Christ did not overcome the world with swords and weapons, but by receiving the Father's wrath due sinners on the cross. That's our summary statement this morning. Jesus Christ did not overcome the world with swords and weapons, but by receiving the Father's wrath due sinners on the cross. The next four chapters of John that we're going through, 18, 19, 20, and 21, this is essentially the conclusion of the book. We're going into the last act of the book of John. Chapter 18 begins with the betrayal of Jesus, and chapter 21 ends with His appearing to His disciples after His resurrection. For those of you who are wondering, what we just read is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It doesn't call it that. Jesus and His disciples have crossed the brook Kidron. Another word for the brook Kidron is just the Kidron Valley. It's the very same brook that David crossed when he was freeing, fleeing Absalom, Absalom, his son, in 2 Samuel. Absalom from Kentucky. The first thing that's staggering about this passage is verse 3. These people are ready for a fight. Let's, let's just read this. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. My goodness. <clears throat> Skip to verse 10. Apparently Peter's ready for a fight too. Here we go. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So at the very least, we can say the tensions were high. Lanterns, torches, weapons, and swords. If this were the 21st century, if this were in 21st century America, this would be like uh, Judas came with a SWAT team. Came with bulletproof vests, assault rifles for Jesus. Look at verses 4 through 6. Then Jesus, knowing that all that would happen, came forward and said to them, Who do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. Verse 6, when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So imagine the SWAT team gets there, and instead of finding a violent suspect with hostility, they find a man who gives himself up peacefully, and then imagine the SWAT team falls to the ground. They fear Jesus. Now, I'm not sure this is a godly fear. This is a worldly fear. And then look at what, how Jesus reacts in verses 7 through 9. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am He. So if you seek Me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that He had spoken. Of those whom you gave Me, I have lost not one. If verse 9 sounds familiar, that's because it is. Jesus keeping the people that the Father have given, has given Him is one of the biggest things in the book of John. Look at John chapter 6, verse 39. And this is the will of whom, Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Look at John chapter 10. <coughs> I have given them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Look at John 17. We just read this a couple weeks ago. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, Judas, 
that the scripture might be fulfilled. And then, of course, John chapter 18, verses 9. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Big theme in John. Keeps coming up in the book. That John wants us to know there is a people that the Father has chosen and the Son is saying, Daddy, I have them. That's a huge theme in the book of John. God is doing in the New Testament much of what He did in the Old Testament. He's taking a people from the world, He's calling them out from the world, and He's guarding them. But unlike the Old Testament, God is not distinguishing His people through ceremonial law. He is going to wash His people with the blood of His own Son. Now verse 11 is one of the... I would say verse 11 is one of the most important verses in the book of John and maybe in the entire Bible. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Now what in the world is he talking about with the cup? you got to understand this. What cup is he talking about here? Well, in the book of John, think of it like this. Anytime there is significant imagery or symbolism in the book of John, more often than not, it comes from the Old Testament. Lamb of God. Bread of life. Good shepherd. On and on and on. What's the same with the cup? In the Old Testament, when... God is talk, when, when God is talking to His people or a prophet is talking to His people, um, even in the Psalms, when, it, when a cup is mentioned in the Old Testament, sometimes it means blessings. Most of the time it means wrath. So is, look, let's look at, I just picked uh, Isaiah 51 verse 17 real quick. Look at this. Wake yourself, wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem. You have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of His Wrath. More often than not, in the Old Testament, when God speaks of a cup, He is talking about a cup of wrath. So Jesus knows that His mission, the reason that He come is not to do war with Rome or war with the church with weapons. And He's, he's telling Peter, get your sword away. He, my mission is to die on the cross and to absorb the wrath of God. This is the essence of the Gospel. Jesus drank the Father's wrath in your place so that you could be counted blameless under the law. I'm going to say that one more time. Jesus drank the Father's wrath in your place so that you could be counted blameless under the law. I've heard some Christians, even some pastors, say something like this. Look, I don't need all the judgment and the hell and the wrath. Okay, God is love. Let's get, off, let's get past the wrath stuff. Haven't you read the Bible? God is love. God so loved the world. Let's get past the wrath. I don't want to hear it anymore. Well, to eliminate wrath from the gospel is to take away the good news. It's impossible to talk about the good news of the Bible without talking about the cup of the Father. Jesus did not understand His own mission in any other way. Man, that pollen. We can never understand the depths of God's love in the gospel until we understand that we deserve the Father's cup. Not Jesus. A gospel without wrath is a self-righteous, man-centered, legalistic gospel. I wanted a way to explain it. The gospel is like a diamond. And you turn it, and you can see more aspects of God, more attributes of God. 
what God is doing. It's, it, it, the gospel is not a simple thing. God always wants us to turn and look at it from a new perspective. And here's something I wanted to explain. At the cross, we see wrath because God executes judgment upon His Son. We see love because God showed grace to a sinful people. We see holiness because God did not tolerate sin. We see righteousness because even in His mercy, God always does what is right. We see faithfulness because God would not give up on his bride. We see all that at the cross. And God wants us all to see that. One of the single most important words that I could really come up with to describe the gospel, and you can't really, you can't describe the gospel in one word, but if you had to try, it would be this word. Propitiation. Propitiation, which is in the Bible, it's in more than one book, it's in the book of Romans, it's in 1 John. The act of Jesus Christ voluntarily averting the Father's wrath on the cross so that believers can be restored to fellowship and favor with God. That's an important word. Here it is again. <coughs> the act of Jesus Christ voluntarily averting the Father's wrath on the cross so that believers can be restored to fellowship and favor with God. I want to qualify two words that I just used there. One, voluntarily. Jesus went to the cross of His own volition. A lot of people today who have a problem with the, the idea of the Father pouring wrath upon the Son, one of the first objections, in fact, the primary objection traditionally against penal substitution has been um, that it's quote-unquote cosmic uh, child abuse. That poor Son... Why would the Father send him up to the cross to die? Well, the Son didn't do that. The Father stuck him. You're saying that the Father just nailed his own Son to the cross to take him out. That, 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 that is against the love of God. God would never do that to his own Son. What we see here in John 18, it makes very clear the gospel is accomplished with the consent of the Son. Both the Father and the Son want this. Only the Son takes flesh. But it is a plan from the triune God. The second word is wrath. When you hear the word wrath, I want to I caution us. Um, let's not think anger. Now, I think there is divine anger in wrath. The two overlap. But they are not the same. And the reason they're not the same is God is angry with sin. You better believe it. God is not angry like we are angry. God's wrath, if I had to define it, is God's holy hatred against sin is controlled. It is, uh, it's not reckless. Um, it's undefiled. It is according to His justice. It is according to His purity. I love this quote here at the bottom. God's wrath is His love in action against sin. If God is not love, God has no wrath. You ever thought about that? God loves us enough, He loves His creation enough, and He loves Himself enough to punish sin. If God is not just, He is not loving. Which is amazing to think. If you were to go up to a random person today, think about this. If you were to go up to a random person today and go, what is happening to Jesus on the cross? What happened to Him? <coughs> what do you think people would say? Why did he go to the cross? What was going on there? What do you think the average person would say? He died for our sins. I think most people would say that. 
Even people that don't, don't believe you, we're in the Bible Belt, folks. People at least got that. Okay? What if you pressed them even further and you said something like, well, why do you have to die for our sins? I think you might get a little blank face there. I mean, whoa. Why did he have to do it? Because well, he's love. That might be the depths of the theology you would get around here. The more we can answer those why questions, the more we can come to a greater understanding of ourselves, of God, and the gospel. And I wanted to break down, and this is what I came up with. What happened to Jesus on the cross? On the cross, Jesus died for our sins. Why did Jesus die for our sins? Well, Jesus died for our sins as a sacrifice. Well, why was he a sacrifice? Jesus was a sacrifice because God poured his wrath upon the Son instead of sinners. Well, why did he do that? God poured out his wrath because he will always judge sin. Well, why does God judge sin? Because he hates sin. Well, why does God hate sin? Because God is holy. Amen. Do you see how the gospel takes us to the identity of God? We can learn about who God is by what God does to sin. It's not cheap. It's not something flippant where we just go, well, God did that because he loved me. No, God wants us to ask these questions because at the bottom we come to understand that our God is a consuming fire. And that is never a waste of our time. This is why Jesus drank the cup. Why did Jesus drink the cup? Because God is both holy and loving. God is both righteous and merciful. God is both full of justice and full of grace. Now somebody might go, well, I mean, all that makes sense. I just don't like to think about the wrath part. Can't I just meditate on God's love? Why, why does wrath have to be a part of it? Give me the warm fuzzies. I just don't like thinking about poor Jesus on the cross. Well, a couple things. In one sense, that's right. God is love. God is not wrath, per se. God is Wrath, would, I, would, I would probably define as an expression of God's holiness. God is love. But if Jesus thought of his mission, this is Jesus here. Jesus in John 18. If Jesus Christ himself thought of his mission on earth in terms of drinking the cup of the Father's wrath, I don't think it's wise for us to leave that part out. God demonstrated His greatest love by sending His own Son to receive His wrath. Therefore, when we think of the cross, when we think of the sinless Son of God drinking the Father's wrath, God wants us to worship Him by going, that should have been me! I deserved that! I deserved every ounce of that divine wrath. I should have been the one drinking the cup. God wants us to do that when we look at the cross. Because when we do that, we see the depths of our sin and the depths of God's love. If we're thinking rightly of the gospel, the Father's wrath doesn't take away from the love of God. It does what? It shines a great big spotlight on it. The Father loved us enough to give His only Son to drink the cup. I was sick this week. All the Todds were sick. Kelly took care of us. She was... We're, we're, we're good now. See, I thought I was good, then I realized that maybe I wasn't even sick. Maybe it was just Georgia pollen. I don't know what it was. But we were really sick. Crackers, oatmeal, toast, the whole nine yards. And the gospel has relevance even when I'm sick. And here's how. 
Because as sick as I am, as miserable as I was, at least I'm not drinking the cup. Regardless of where I am, regardless of what we're doing, regardless of what circumstance you're in, the fact that you're not under the Father's wrath today should make us more grateful, humbler, full of love than the rest of the world. We should walk every single day in the light of the fact that we don't have to drink the cup. There is nothing in this life that could, God could throw at me that is comparable to what Jesus endured at Calvary. The wrath of God in some sense fuels my worship and it's also a warning against unbelief. Romans 1.18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Think about this this morning. Either Christ will take the Father's wrath for you on the cross, or you will receive the Father's wrath in hell forever. I'm going to say that one more time. Either Christ will receive the Father's wrath on your behalf on Calvary, or you will receive the Father's wrath forever in hell. And here's where the, here's where the genius of the gospel is. Well, I don't get it, Bobby. Why, why should someone endure um, hell forever? And Jesus only had to endure wrath on the cross for, what was it, like nine hours? Well, that's because what? What's the difference between us and God and Jesus? He's God. God orchestrated the gospel in such a way that Jesus is both fully man and fully God. He is able to pay an infinite debt that, that sinners are only able to pay in hell forever. And Jesus is able to take it on the cross. That is what the gospel offers sinners. That's the free gift of eternal life. When we offer the gospel to people, when we say take eternal life, what we're saying is Jesus took the punishment that was yours and he, he absorbed it on the cross. All the wrath, all the anger that was due to you for being a disobedient lawbreaker, the sinless Son of God took on your behalf. Receive it. That's the free grace of Jesus Christ. I want to conclude this morning. The gospel does not begin with God loves you. The gospel begins with you stand condemned under the wrath of the holy God. Therefore, if you would but repent of your sins and turn away, confess your iniquity to God, and believe in His Son, Jesus Christ, you could receive the grace of eternal life. That's the gospel. God doesn't owe us a shred of grace. God doesn't owe us one ounce of mercy, but yet we have received it. John 3.16, that He loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Every ounce of wrath that I deserve in hell was meted out upon Jesus in the cross. Amen. And we are to walk every single day in the light of that kind of grace. For those in this room who have not received Jesus Christ, if you've never ever thought about the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus. And perhaps it's, it's time to renew your faith in the gospel.
Father, we are needy sinners. <coughs> we are ignorant sinners. We're entitled. We're ungrateful. And we so often forget what we really deserve. Father, this morning, I ask that you open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see all that Jesus truly accomplished for us on Calvary. Father, we may never truly understand the depths of the cup that He drank. But Father, I pray that You give us a greater understanding of His grace, a greater understanding of Jesus' mission, a greater understanding of Your holiness, so that we can have hearts that long to worship You, not because of anything that You can give us, but because You alone are good, You alone are holy, You alone are God. Father, thank You for the grace of Jesus Christ. Thank You for the Gospel.